0: This is a podcast from The Red House, the former home of Benjamin Britten and Peter Pears. I'm Lucy Walker. Join me, colleagues and other guests for a monthly chat about all things Britten and Pears, plus music, culture, heritage in general, and anything else that might come up. Welcome to number three of the From the Red House podcasts. Um, And this one is in rather unusual circumstances in that it's not from the Red House. Um, for future listeners of this, down the line, this is taking place during the coronavirus crisis. So it's it's late March, 2020. Um, and I am sitting in my kitchen at home and my um, my interviewee is sitting in his house in London. So that's what's happening today. Uh, but I'm delighted to welcome virtually, um, or oh, not to virtually welcome, you know what I mean, to welcome yes. at a distance, um, Oliver Soden who has recently published a biography of Michael Tibbetts and we are going to be talking about that and other things. Hello Oliver.
1: Hello. I'd say nice to be here but I haven't moved.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes. nice to be there, nice to be here, nice to be doing this. Um, uh, So yes, I'm using this rather splendid software that somebody recommended to me uh, called CleanFeed so I'm hoping this, we're going to keep this clean by the way. That's probably worth mentioning at the beginning.
1: I'll make a big effort
0: <laughs> um, so just just quickly how how are you
1: i'm I'm very well, which is more than just a platitude at the moment, and um everyone i I know seems to be okay, even if Prince Charles I read this morning is suffering
0: that's that's the the news fresh off the press, isn't it? I just saw yes. that coming up yes. as an alert yes, yes. Yeah. Right. So, what we were thinking we would talk about is the very broad subject of biography. Mm -hmm. So, over to you then. Oh
1: God! (laughs) I've only written one. Yes. (laughs)
0: Um, But actually, just just uh, to to get started with it, I think we just would be interested to know. I mean, I'd be interested to know, having not written one, I've only done a basically. I did a picture book. About Benjamin Britten, um, which is a biography of sorts, but not anywhere near the extent that yours is. So I'm just no. very curious as to how, I mean, I, the circumstances, obviously, how you came to to do it, but just how you physically start. So you've got your computer screen, and I don't know, what do you do? How do you how do you start?
1: Well, there were two starts for me: the 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 abstract start of being commissioned to do it at all, and and such a big project, such a long-lived man, because Tippett was 93 when he died, and then as you say, the the blank page on the uh, computer screen, Um, it's odd now, having written it, being asked big questions about biography and the art of biography, because not all that long ago, three or four years ago, it it had never occurred to me uh, that even as I was splashing about with ideas of being a writer, that I would necessarily be a biographer. Um, right. it, uh, so I wasn't a biographer looking around for a subject. It was the fact of having this this subject that forced me into being a biographer, in that Tippett had this um, amazing 93-year life and career. He, he He went through a phase, at least, of being... One of the most famous composers in the world, leave alone in this country, um, and yet unlike a figure such as Benjamin Britten, who, who, at the by the time his centenary year was over in 2013, there were three major tomes on the shelf that all claimed to be a life, a biography. Um, yet Tippett, there was nothing, um, and uh, the uh, the anointed biographer. So it's another parallel with Britain in a way in that, in that Britain anointed the late Donald Mitchell to write a, uh, his biography and in the end that job was passed over in the late 80s, early 90s to Humphrey Carpenter who was the first Britain biographer almost by accident. Mm-hmm. So it was with Tippett in that uh, Dennis Marks who was Director of Music at the BBC and at English National Opera uh, was uh, anointed the Tippett biographer quite some time ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then became became ill and then died I think in 2015 um, and suddenly Tippett was without a biographer and it became pretty evident that there wasn't a long queue of people uh, vying for the job and I was so passionate about Tippett's music by then uh, j- just as a personal enthusiasm mm-hmm and so interested in his life, which I thought was this amazing lens through which the 20th century could be considered, that I thought, well, um, this book ought to exist. And the best way of making sure it exists now uh, is to write it, which sounds pretty ludicrous. <laughs> um, but it's mean, sort of what, what, uh, what happened. And there then followed a long year of sending off um, Letters to Agents and so on, which answers your your question about the physical act of starting. One of the things that made Tippett possible, and which I'm now struggling with, with book number two, which is a biography of Noel Coward, is that I never had to go from zero to 120 in 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. I never had to sit down and begin. I was staggered um, in so many levels in that because I didn't then have an agent or a publisher, one had to have sample material. so I I went off and wrote I think the first 18 years of Tippett's life which is however many thousands of words chapter one basically and then there then followed a long gap where I was hawking my wares (laughs) around agents offices and so on and I didn't write again for another six months eight months so starting was easy in that there was enough there that I had to continue whereas now with Coward this standing start and I knew at the beginning much less about Coward than I did at the beginning of Tippet About Tippet, really is hauling oneself to the desk every morning and um, seeing the blank Word document or the blank page and thinking, well, what was the next thing to have happened with him? And I'm still not yet sure with Coward whether I will progress chronologically, Mm -hmm. although I think I will write it chronologically and then see what order the material dictates. Whereas with with Tippet, again... um, because it was the first biography, because it was the equivalent of that Humphrey Carpenter on Britain, the book of reference, what, uh, and then this happened, and then that happened, the structure gave one impetus. Um, you knew what happened next. Yes. Um, whereas, again, with Coward, if one's, because so many books on Coward exist, one has yeah. the license to be more structurally playful. Even that is harder to progress through, because you're not just working chronologically.
0: Absolutely. Um... Just just touching on the, the, the point of um, writing about composers in particular, there's, mm. uh, there's, a, there's an interesting point about it the fact that it differentiates from um, books about composers' works. So, you, something I so they used to do this was it there's a Music master series or something where you'd have, it was in two halves, they'd have half biog and half broad brush look at the musical style with a yes. kind of canter through the various um, uh, works and genres and and all the rest of it I think I think the Michael Kennedy one about Britain so that that was perhaps an attempt to kind of address that that when you're writing a biography of a composer are you sort of a describing the music in words which is always quite hard do you um I'm sure some music biographies have attacked in the past have put CDs sort of stuck in the back you know so you can listen to some of the stuff obviously everything's widely available now but or do you do you in some way link musical content to, to biography which is a really thorny thing to do because trying to actually tie musical structures and, and the I- impossible to describe nature of music to <laughs> a biographical event unless somebody is literally writing this is a piece about my life right now in this moment which, which of course is impossible and that can, always, that can be a bit cringe making.
1: There are so many uh, different angles by which you can approach writing about a composer but then as you say how do you describe in words something which words can never say exactly. um yeah. but That's then so I think also or, or yeah it's a it, it's a doomed attempt that yeah. we all necessarily have to make I think at its best writing about music if you if you I don't say I do this particularly well in the Tippet book but if somehow you can describe the impact, emotional, sonic, of hearing a piece of music by whoever it happens to be, in such a way that your prose mm. attempts almost to take on the excitement, the sound of the music, then maybe you're, you're nudging into some mm. realm of success.
0: Yeah, and you're trying to encourage people to, to go off and actually, oh, this, this, yeah, make it sound interesting enough that someone says, oh, well, this piece this person is incredibly enthusiastic about this piece, there must be something in it, I'm going to go and listen to it.
1: Yeah, Um, and that's the aim isn't it? The the, the end of a good biography is one that is a beginning um, and you, you, you go off and explore. But it's funny isn't it because readers in the history of reading have never been so able to reach for their nearest um, smartphone or iPad, mm. and type in a piece of musical vocabulary used in a composer biography that they um, that they hadn't heard or didn't understand. You know, now should be the moment in a way where it's easier <laughs> than ever. That's true. Uh, so, and also, it, it's it's funny. There's this glass glass box around music writing. People are so tentative to use. Well even the most basic vocabulary and I say basic very tentatively because what is basic for one reader will will not be for another but it would be odd would it not to read a book about Shakespeare that didn't for example use the word sonnet or pentameter or or iambics, or whatever. Similarly, William Fever's book about Lucien Freud presumably uses words such as impasto or mm. whatever. And yet, um, one even writing a program note for a concert girl for the BBC says, encouraged not to use a word such as fugue without definition, even counterpoint, and so on. Mm. And then you then risk patronizing. Um, uh intensely musical readers and concertgoers mm-hmm. so it's a it, it's a it's a tightrope walk to which there is no one answer or or approach no indeed basically. and
0: I think I think people are more nervous of classical music terminology than almost any other form and and I think I'd, I we, we could have a whole other podcast on why that might be and, and how one might go about sort of helping with that um one thing I'd quite like to ask you about um is the very subjective nature of writing a biography in that um, it's not, not, and can't ever be an objective presentation of someone's life or someone's story. You're, you're still shaping the narrative. You're choosing the facts. You're writing about mm-hmm. the things that are interesting to you. Um, biography, like anything else, is subjective fashion. Uh, um, there's a, there's a quote I'd really, I'd like to read you, which is from a. Um, I did a, I did a course at university when I was at King's we did a course on Mozart biography so it was a kind of on the history of biography as it pertained um, to Mozart Right And there was a I'm just trying to find the quote here there was a, 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 a biography of him written in around about the 19th century or thereabouts uh, which, here we go <laughs> it's by somebody called Lady Wallace Oh right uh, and, um, and she writes... Uh, Mozart, the genius of beauty, wandered like the stars along a peaceful path, all joy and harmony. Streams of loveliness, concord and beauty flowed from him who had so early imbibed the fullness of love. He attained the loftiest heights of humanity, shedding alike on the high and the low, the good and the evil, the fragrant blossoms of his productions.
1: Well, that tells you an awful lot about Lady Wallace. I don't know what it tells Dungeons. you about Mozart.
0: Exactly, um, but that that was quite typical of of him in particular. His, his biographies of him um, up until sort of early 20th century were written along the lines of um, the the kind of the, the genius. With a gift from from God taken from us too soon, the genius child, with, almost with these sort of origin myths comparable to, you know, stories of, of gods and, and other mythical figures,
1: um, and presumably ignoring all the scatological well, jokes in his letters, or quite. Yes. I mean, yes. that,
0: but but then when that started to emerge, obviously in the 20th century with the with the the kind of. Um, general awareness of freudian processes and so on mm. then the biographies for mozart became much more um psychoanalytical and, and, and kind of quite almost quite, quite bizarre kind um almost like it's a case study to be then examined um in that through that lens yes. so and as you say the biographer it's more about the biographer than the biography
1: so well, and tells you about the as much about the time in which the yeah. biography was written as it, th- exactly. than the the period exactly. under under discussion exactly yeah.
0: so i think i think that's very interesting it's pretty hard for you to say of what uh 2019ness has gone into gone into the book you've written but it will it does it obviously you have written it so it will be it will be to some degree reflective of your interests and preoccupations as much as it is.
1: <laughs> yeah it, it must be and yeah. it um it it has had to do something that not any of the britain biographers ever had to do which is to be recuperative of tippett's reputation mm-hmm. so its 2019ness um will partly be reflected in the fact that it's hauling tippett out of the doldrums which is where in 2019 um he he was mm-hmm. um maybe in 10 years time assuming tippett is uh re- you know placed Back in the Pantheon, um, to some degree, maybe it, it will it, it'll read as if it's banging its drum a little bit too loudly. Mm. It's quite interesting. Mm, that's
0: interesting yeah. If
1: you look at the Carpenter biography of Britain, which I think was published in the early nineties, nineteen ninety-two, 1992, yeah. Yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a very interesting section about Tippett, which now reads superfluously. By which I mean that uh, Carpenter is writing at a time. Asp- and of course, although he was published in 1992, he would have been writing the book in the late 80s. Yes. Where a lot of it, it wasn't yet clear whether it was Britain or Tippett that was going to be, um, and this is assuming wrongly that there's only room for one, but mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it, it did look as if Tippett might have been the lasting composer and that it was Britain that was needing a helping hand.
0: That's interesting, yeah.
1: And there's a very interesting chapter where um, a lot of Uh, young composers and performers who had through the 1970s said the fashionable thing which is that Britain was old hat and that Tippett was going to be the lasting composer they're having to eat their words Mm -hmm. in that Carpenter biography rather loudly in order to give Britain this this leg up which in 2019 uh, now now reads rather ridiculously so the Carpenter book is of its time uh, in that way and yeah. maybe my my book will seem <laughs> um, of of its time in ten years. I I don't know.
0: It, it, um, it can't. It can't. But I think that that will just be the case. You know, just just because time moves on and yes, and things move on, as you say, unless there is no no further forthcoming biography, which would seem to be a shame. But it it yeah.
1: Well, that's. I imagine Carpenter will have realised that that more Britain bio. I mean, it took what twenty years, but mm. that more, further Britain biographers would emerge, whereas with, with, with Tippett, although I very much hope they will, mm-hmm. um, it, it's hard to imagine at the moment yeah. that, uh, that happening. Um, and I, th- I think that's a necessary process really when we think about the subjectivity of biographers because the subject will emerge you know, Britain emerges in the cracks between Kilday and Pohl and Carpenter somehow, yeah. because they, they, they circle round him and you, you see him from all angles, yeah. um, from the, the early 90s angle, from the new millennium angle. Al- also, um, and I don't mean this to sound kind of self aggrandizing, but the, the biographies being written now, are going to be the first biographies of 20th century lives that start to have distance from that century.
0: Absolutely so, yeah. Um,
1: Which would have been the the viewpoint of of the two Britain biographies written in 2013 and in some ways of mine that you can... um, I I think it's very different writing about um, which I've never yet done and coward only nudged into the 19th century by by year. a, A figure such as Thomas Hardy say mm-hmm. and Claire Tomalin calls her biography of Hardy the time-torn man the Victorian who saw the First World War and became a First World War poet it's a difference between writing about these time-torn mm-hmm. figures who straddle eras yeah. and then writing about figures such as Britain um and especially of Tippett, whose whose chrono- chronology is so almost uncannily mm. uh, tatted in to um, a, a complete century. That's a very different thing. So that um, angle on twentieth-century lives will start to become clearer as mm-hmm. the dust settles.
0: Indeed. So yes, that, I mean that, and that's something that I mean. What we find at the, at the Red House when when the public the public um, visitors come and look around the house. He, when it was first opened to the public which was um, early, 15 years ago or something like that there was still people, m- many more people around who knew him personally and were born at the same time as him or broadly at the same time as him yes. so it felt odd to them that this was seen as a historic house because it's their era whereas yes. increasingly and you know, every year that's going to change and we have people coming in who don't say oh this reminds me of these, I, I had this in my house, it's more I had this in my parents' house, more likely I, this is, looks like my grandmother's house so it recedes it is receding into history every single day um,
1: and, even and, as you try and yeah. keep that history alive in such a way that it isn't Preserved in amber and shrine-like and so on, so it's this odd kind of double progression. It is. It it? really is, and Mm. and it's
0: and it's also following the fashion of 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 presenting historic houses or presenting personality houses, which is is what we are. Which is that what might have been. Presented the, the kind of the, the genius model. Now people are more interested in the kitchens and the domestic details and the yes. the, the, the personal story that means they have some access to it.
1: Yes, and I see a biography so, yeah. of Winston Churchill's cook has just been a <laughs> big success. You know that I think it, uh, Virginia Woolf somewhere says that if you go to the house in Chelsea of Thomas and Jane Carlyle, the, the Victorian Thomas Carlyle, the the Victorian writer seeing the house, spending one hour in the house, will tell you more about the carlyles and their relationship than all the biographies put together, because she describes standing in the house and hearing the the noise of the street and the omnibuses and the the bells and then it was something to do with the water and the water pipes clanking and the girl <laughs> next door was practicing piano and so on and th- this whole kind of soundscape of the house you suddenly realize that nobody could write under these conditions or form a relationship. And suddenly you realise why the relationship didn't work, because oh, they were both in a torrent of ill-temper the whole yes. time, because <laughs> they, couldn't, they couldn't focus.
0: There you are. I mean, this, this, there's a book just come out, um, which I may say uh, a small ornament of. Um, it's called The Lives of Houses. It's edited by Hermione Lee and Kate Kennedy, and it is about yes. what, it, what a house means to a person creative artist or a public figure. and So is, is the house shaped by them or does the house shape them in some way? And um, then its and we'll posthumous existence. Yeah, precisely so and, as and a I form think, of biography. Yeah, and exactly. And and so the house, the physical space becomes a kind of biography if, if it's available to be visited. But there, there we this, this book came out of a originally out of a conference and one of the, the speakers there was was saying that she she was writing about public historical figures and people one criticism was uh, there's far too much about wallpaper in this book and not enough about foreign policy or whatever and she's <laughs> like actually a lot of the readers were like oh, no I, I, i'd like to hear more about wallpaper you know don't don't, don't inhibit yourself
1: the <laughs> yes well if you if you were as a biographer um again i think of wolf saying that biography is half granite half rainbow um the the yeah. the rainbow of conveying the authorial uh, the the subjects personality and imagination and the granite of the hard progression of facts oh,
0: nice. um, yeah.
1: then you know another metaphor apart from granite and rainbow might be you know the wallpaper and the foreign policy <laughs> yeah. that you um you keep the domestic detail and the bigger picture alive at the same time as a biographer. I think Claire Tomlin, the biographer of, as I say, of Hardy and Pepys and, and, um, and others, uh, somebody, I can't remember who, told her that the only way she could ever really write about Jane Austen was to ride around the streets of Bath in a horse and carriage, and she didn't know why she'd been um, persuaded to do this until sitting on the carriage, having taken the plunge and done it, she realised that you could see through the first floor windows mm. into drawing rooms. And it was that vantage point, um, uh, you yeah. know, of, 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 of Austen's, of literally putting her eyes where Austin's would have been and realising yes. that they were three feet higher in a carriage than they might have been in an automobile or a car, that, that, that gave her that view on Austin's drawing rooms. Um, oh, of great. course, yeah. what then happens with a subject such as Tippett, who didn't leave a house, who sold a house, mm. If you say in the uh, the uh, the house in Suffolk that he had lived in growing up, so from 1905 to 1913, it it, it has a lovely family living in it now, and it's a it, it's been modernised. And then suddenly a, a a glance of the original Edwardian loo downstairs with its pull chain handle and its dark wood seat that somehow had survived. Such a, a scurry of real domestic. Interest, you know, it sounds very silly, you know, the no, loo no, no, that Tippett had no, no. sat on. But I mean, it, um, uh, you know, forget wallpaper. I'll just write write biographies about, you know, plumbing and, and loo going, in in England. Um, but you know, that had a sudden shiver of reality. Yeah, yeah. Um, in a way, no amount of manuscript behind glass ever, ever could. Oh, that's,
0: yeah, it's so true. Those are the those are the personal connections where you Yeah, this was a, this was a human being who, yes, you know, regardless yeah. of, of flowering blossoms of genius or whatever you know that, that that's what that's what draws people in that's what yes. makes uh, you know regardless of whether they're a musician or whatever or you know or, or whoever they were
1: yes
0: um, um, and those are lovely bits in your book where you you actually sort of open the curtain a bit on your process and visit and talk about how what that experience was like of going to these various places in the, in the country associated with with, with him life, these guy trees, because it's how they are now as well so it's sort of
1: yeah. Yes, um, that certainly allows you to draw parallels then and now, as you say. Exactly. Although uh, I was, I thought those entries, the diary entries you described were at risk, because mm-hmm. then you end up being Lady Wallace and, <laughs> you know, um, saying more about your, yourself than about your, your subject. So, I guess partly what we're, I mean, this throws up questions of the preservation of a life and a reputation, when we think about Tippett, who, who, whose reputation fell very dramatically, and Britain, whose reputation didn't really, the preservation of a life and a career through forms other than simply writing a biography, so through a foundation, which Tippett doesn't have, through a, through a, a house that still belongs to the estate, uh, which Tibbet doesn 't have, but also you um, you you by which I mean uh, th- the Briton Peers foundation um, town as biography, mm-hmm. place as biography, so. Britain knitted himself into mm. a town, yeah. which is still in, in in some ways very much britain 's town, mm. but then that is the biographer's quandary because if you 're writing about a creative artist as a biographer you will believe in that creative artist's work to the extent that you think it should and can Mm -hmm. exist without the prop of its composer's personality or of um, a landscape Mm -hmm. or a house. Mm -hmm. And yet you simultaneously try and recall that composer's or novelist's personality to life. So it's this very odd um, Mm -hmm. unsolvable balancing act between allowing the work to fly free even as you stitch the work back in to its, you know, to the life that created it and the times in which it, it, it existed. I, I was never sure whether I actually solved that or whether any biographer can. You just have to stop short when we talk about biography as biography, houses as biography. Mm-hmm. It seems to me the one thing that can't be taken as biography is the music itself
0: oh I, yes I, I couldn't agree more and i think that that it's uh, it's it's risky to risky to even attempt i mean you, yes. you can only um i mean that there, there are some things you can say historically obviously this piece could not have but come out of this particular era and that's yes. that's the case of of all sorts of pieces of britons of tippets of i mean the, the composer i did my phd on Poulak, who's who's um one of his operas was based on a film script, so that had to have come out of the twentieth century but it and it's, yes. uh and then the Lavo, which is based on a telephone called ditto so and that all you're really saying is how a composer and their craft engages with the times in which they're living, which all composers do to and
1: whatever once reason, you've and done to that then, yes, yeah, and then the next step is how it can engage with the times in which. We're living, and yes, in which future yes. generations will live. But I'm not. I, I I think one has to be very careful um, merely to assume that every note Tippett or Britton wrote is in some way encoded autobiography. Mm, yeah, no, indeed. Because it does a disservice to the imagination that you profess as a biographer to admire.
0: Yeah. When you when you live with a, a subject for as long as you did, and writing a biography you you live with with the person you have to um they have to get under your skin in some way and you have to i guess you have to like them or you have to at least understand them in some way do you think
1: well, I don't know about liking, although I did like Tippett very much. Reductio ad Hitleram, but presumably there are historical biographies of, of Nazi of of Nazi commandants who, who who managed to keep yes, the, yes who, who managed to keep their um you know who never yes. entirely warmed to their no, subject. No, let's say like
0: way. like was entirely the wrong word. Heads sort as of a qualify, but at least un, understand them. I feel like an actor playing a a psychopath. You know,
1: well, I've them. heard, I mean, I say this, uh, I mean, I, I make cheap jokes about Nazi commandants, but I mean, I, I have heard actors who have played, uh, if not evil characters, mm. then, um, you know, all saying, you know, it's very strange, but you do in some ways end up terribly sympathetic for the, um, t- t- you know, to these awful people for the duration that you're playing, playing the role. So maybe yeah. it does work like that. And, you know, it's a very different exercise, writing about a creative Artist than mm-hmm. about a, a, a historical um, figure. Mm-hmm. I I think I mean Tippett as a subject anyway was clearly quite dangerously likable. By which I mean, um, people fell under his under his spell and left their wives for him. And you know he he just had that ability. Um, and maybe I I fell under that spell even though I never met him, uh, just simply as his biographer. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether liking is necessary, though whether as a reader it it it, um, it it would become tiresome to read a book where it becomes plain that there's some kind of friction between mm. uh, biographer and subject, I don't know. I, I certainly found Tippett immensely likable and lovable to the extent that in a kind of sad tragic sort of way you you suddenly come to the end of the book and think oh god I, I'll never meet him how awful I, I, I remember sitting they showed a, a, a documentary TV documentary that had been made about Tippett in the old Festival in 2019 mm-hmm. uh, Poets in a Barren Age and I, 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 I was sitting in the dark of the cinema in the front row and he suddenly Tippett was in the film came out of his house beautiful sunny day he looked kind of radiant mm. and i i remember being hit with this realization mm. having come to the end of the book that i would never ever meet him mm. and it sounds ludicrous not to have had that realization before but you do in some weird way you you suspend that knowledge mm. it's as it, it, it for me anyway and and i, I I can't say whether this is the same for every biographer, or even whether it would be the same for me with every biography I write, assuming I ever write another one. Um, and I certainly can admit I don't have this feeling with with Noel Coward as yet. It was as if I had somehow suspended the the mm. the cold granite fact of the of th- that I would never, at the end of the book, put my arms around him and he me somehow. I, I was existing in the rainbow. Um, and i remember very clearly the moment where i kind of crashed to earth with a bang um and maybe that means that the book reads like nothing other than the the kind of dribbling enthusiasm of a love struck um 20-something year old biographer who who's going through this kind of tippet crush it may do um it's a very curious haunting yes
0: yes um, um sounds
1: like it in two directions
0: yeah
1: the living haunting the dead and the dead haunting the living Mm. and the the exorcising of it took me Mm. anyway and I don't know whether this is a common view either, an awfully long time I mean it it took me a good year Mm. to to get out of the tippet mindset Mm -hmm. and as I travel through Noel Coward's childhood now you know, I, one doesn't mind admitting I'm finding it hard to settle mm. to him simply because the, my first book was su- was such an emotional experience. Mm. Mm. Um, and Coward was a topic suggested to me rather than one I I mm. thought of myself and yeah. I, I didn't think I was in a position to turn down the request either. So it's a whole different thing, mm-hmm. um, c- creating much less organically. The relationship that is necessary. So that
0: suggests that that yeah you you do you need you need to have a kind of that the person you're writing about has to chime with you. There has to be some common ground. There has to be some link of whatever form that takes, whether it's it's kind of conversely or or in a more Mm. empathic sense. And, And to have that extent of knowledge is really only possible after someone's dead.
1: Yes, I think so. Um, I think so. I th- yes, Although I mean, it,
0: it, might, it, might, it might be possible if you've got you know, extraordinary levels of access, but even, even then, the person living will be, however consciously or not, shaping, shaping the, the product they're handing over to you.
1: Hermione Lee, the, the editor of, your, of, of the book about yeah. houses, um, I believe is writing and intends to publish, you know, before he has died, a, a biography of Tom Stoppard. Um right. Which, after a series that's included you know great dead people, <laughs> yeah. such as Wolfe and Edith Wharton and Penelope Fitzgerald and so on, must be a completely different experience.
0: completely that's right. Really and, and an
1: experience that won't involve riffling through fading yellow manuscripts either, but will involve presumably trawling emails, emails and hard drives yeah, and word yeah, documents, yeah. which is a com- is going to be a completely different way. Of writing biography Just in some way. ways, and then in other ways, yeah. it's going to be entirely the same.
0: Yeah. So uh, you've been writing about Tippett. You're currently writing about Coward. But I yeah. understand you you've been writing about um, uh, a different subject. Do you want to, to tell us about your other uh, biography? Oh God.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. Biography number two, and he does have biography in the title, so no, you know, m- maybe it has something to say about um, life writing. And of course, Virginia Woolf said he's not any- anyone who has lived a life worthy of, of biography. So <laughs> maybe I'd have to change that. He's not anything that has lived a life <laughs> worthy of biography. So maybe people are starting to guess what this is. Um, I have a book coming out in, in November, 2020, called Jeffrey the poet's cat a biography and people um lovers of Britain will already be there um this is a biography of a real life cat called Geoffrey uh who lived in a lunatic asylum with the 18th century poet Christopher Smart and Smart while he was in the lunatic asylum um, and the reasons for his incarceration are a bit murky, but he had some kind of bipolarity or religious mania, uh, wrote the vast, amazing religious poem, Jubilate Agno, Rejoice in the Lamb, with a long section in it, for I will consider my cat Geoffrey. And T.S. Eliot said of this poem that it was to all poems about cats what the Iliad is to all poems about war. And, you know, Eliot himself, as we know, wrote some good cat poetry as well. So high praise. It's a wonderful poem. Uh, And Britain uh, set uh, Rejoicing the Lamb music for the mm-hmm. festival cantata in the, in the 40s and everyone knows and loves uh, for i will consider my cat jeffrey in that with the beautiful organ accompaniment for he is the servant of the living god duly and daily serving him it's it's gorgeous mm. and i was in the car um years ago now i remember it driving um along albra high street and we were thinking about other i was with my Parents And my father said, um, you should do a, a, a book about an animal, you know, a biography of an animal. Thinking, I imagine, of Virginia Woolf's biography of, course, of yes. Elizabeth Barrett Browning's Spaniel Flush. <laughs> and Iria, my, my partner, she said, um, well, what about the cat Jeffrey? Because we have our own cat Geoffrey at home. <laughs> and I, you know, a long time later, I, I thought, well, why not? I'll have a go. And anyway, it's, it's done and it's, you know, um, the facts are there when we know the facts and the rest is, uh, is fiction. But weirdly, one treated it in the same way as one would treat <laughs> um, Tippett or Coward, you know. Um, so G- Geoffrey, a biography. So oh. that's, um, that, that, that was my light, light relief between the two, um, the two longer biographies of Tippett and Coward. But it, it actually turned out not being all that light in the end.
0: Oh! Oh, I'm intrigued, but he did, did Geoffrey leave behind any, any, uh, sources, any, 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 any? Yeah,
1: his, his archive is amazing. <laughs> um, n- no, sadly not. There's, th- 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 there's no well-curated collection of, um, of toys and, and, you know, uh, no white-gloved, li- well, I was going to say, I was imagining a white-gloved librarian coming out with some desiccated leaves in a box, you know, this is the catnip that Geoffrey snuffled in, in 1753, no. <laughs> Um, nothing at all, which is an amazing yeah. license yes, in a way, um, mm-hmm. and makes you realise even when when the facts and the archive for Tippett or Coward are there, that the barrier between fiction and non-fiction is pretty murky. And, o- and also, I think one, I hope one might have learnt from writing Jeffrey that actually, Tippett or Coward, the biographies need to read as a novel anyway right. yes. in some in some way and you're still doing the same thing you are still um, it is the same act of imagination mm-hmm. whether it's tippet or coward walking along the strand in the blitz and you find out which of the buildings was collapsed and what the trees smelt like because the bark had been blown off so the smell of the sap was very strong and you know it's the same thing even though it's Geoffrey walking on four paws along the strand um St Paul's is the tallest building. The weather vanes on the spires. Uh, the the brown river of the Thames. You know all these things. It, it's actually it, it seemed to me the same exercise mm-hmm. of of life writing.
0: Well, life yes, I mean life writing, li- lives in life writing conform to conform to a narrative with a beginning, a middle, and an end, and so on. So they they that's what they do. They, they, yes. those, those are like any uh, like any telling of a story, telling of a life great look forward to Jeffrey coming out do you say November? So do
1: I uh, November 2020, Wonderful. it's a warts and all expose <laughs> um,
0: right we're going to just finish up here uh, with a question I have asked every um, well in the, in the all two podcasts we've done so far but you, uh, we might as well continue which is what uh, piece of music you have been listening to recently and say something about it <laughs>
1: Recently oh I well well, as in the
0: last piece of music you listened, how about
1: that? I'm going to have a look now. I can't now remember. I'm going to go on to my um Spotify. Other music streaming download services are available and (laughs) um see what it is. It is Cries of London by Luciano Berrio. There is a a new recording that I saw advertised um, by the Norwegian radio orchestra uh, only oh, well, it won't be the orchestra and cries in cries of london which is a cappella norwegian soloists choir and i love um Berio's work i think he's a complete 20th century master it is it, an extraordinary tapestry of london uh, uh market sellers crying their wares mm. and um london, of nursery rhymes and folk songs and it sounds um it, it's it's full of uh um, Madrigalian techniques and hocketing and um, things like that. It sounds like Monteverdi seen through the wrong end of a, of a telescope. It's completely, enchantingly beautiful. Wow.
0: So a kind so that, of yeah, early early filtered through modern, which is yeah, exactly. kind
1: of bringing us all uh, circle to something. Yeah, in, exactly um, that.
0: Great. Well, just, just um, I've been listening to a fact just yesterday I recommended you to listen to it so I know you listen to it too. Oh the Debussy. Um, the Debussy String Quartet so mm. that is and I just before we started I listened again to this to the slow movement and it's it's just so exquisite. It's the, what was I also listening to the Brodsky Quartet who really go for the kind of um, melancholy of it and it's lovely.
1: Um, I don't know Debussy as well as I should.
0: There you are well you can go off and listen to it all now
1: because you, you.
0: you can and what else are you going to do at the moment? <laughs>
1: Oh, I'm fed up of Tippett, that's for sure. No, I'm not, actually. Um, one's listening becomes quite narrow in a weird way.
0: If it introduced you to pop music of the 1980s, am I right? Because he, he was quite into all that and yes, my, made you uh, listen to it. <laughs> my,
1: my, my girlfriend came in one day. I think I had the police on, which is not, shall we say, a typical um, thing for me to no, put more, on. Well,
0: you're more to be listening to, to Berio and... Yeah, Cass well, and exactly. Sosa, yeah. Well,
1: um, um, yes. Um, and she said, what, what on earth is wrong? And it was just that I, I had to um, get my mind around the, the, the jazz and the pop music that, that Tippett was interested in um, in the 1980s. You know, this, th- this is a composer who rang up the Communards, you know, the, the pop duo, the, the Reverend Richard Coles yes. and, and um, Jimmy Somerville. Uh, you know, asking them to collaborate on an opera and uh, he, Tippett, uh, they they said no, surprisingly. But, you know, off one has to go and listen to the communards. Um, The communards are great. Well, I knew Jimmy Somerville from the Sally Potter film of Orlando. Yes,
0: that's right.
1: And had always loved the, 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 as it were, countertenor voice. So um, one saw exactly what what, uh, Tippett was was going to. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I think... uh, one of Tippett's goddaughters married one of the members of, is it Henry Cow, the band? So there, was all, there, there, there were all these links and the, the, the kinks and so on. Yeah. He really is the 20th century's meeting point. Mm. But, you know, that English national inheritance that he undoubtedly had from Purcell right through to Elgar and Vaughan Williams meets European modernism, meets the American vernacular and if synthesis between those three worlds isn't achieved it may also be beside the point because the energy comes from the friction between those forces mm. and well when tectonic plates collide some great new mountain range is formed mm. Mm.
0: lovely oh that's nice let's let's leave for that uh, rather poetic um <laughs> image <so. laughs> So thank you very much Oliver. This has been a fun way to spend an hour of self-isolating.
1: Yes um, it's, it's it, it was it felt very unisolated so ah, thank you.
0: Thank you very much and tune in next time from somewhere or other uh, for podcast number four.